Pastor Xavier Reese getting to know the all-knowing God of the Bible. Hindus don't have prophecy. Buddhists don't have prophecy. No religions have prophecy. Only Christianity. Because we have the God who knows the future. He knows the end from the beginning. In Isaiah we read, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything impossible for me? He said, I tell you things before they happen, so when they happen, you know I'm God. And if there's any other gods out there, tell me things before they happen, so when they happen, I can declare you God. No one's ever taken them up on it. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We remember from Jeremiah 1.5 that the scope of the prophet Jeremiah's ministry went out not only to God's people of Judah, but also to nations who were their potential allies as well as those who would be enemies. And in today's Simple Truth Study, Pastor Xavier takes a look at Jeremiah chapter 46, an oracle against Egypt, in which God had much to share with Israel about how his judgment extended to foreign nations as well. Let's listen. The table of nations is given to us, as you know, in Genesis chapter 10, from which all of mankind owes their existence to the descendants of Noah and his sons. Consequently, they all knew about God who created the world. Adam and Eve, the fall, the expulsion of the garden, as well as the sin nature that resulted from the fall. They knew about the murder of Abel by Cain, the judgment of the entire world, except for Noah and his family. They knew about the ongoing rebellion by man against God, as he corrupted the nature of the image of God, worshiping the creature more than the Creator, through his vain imaginations resulting in pagan religions, culminating in the Tower of Babel where they attempted to make a name for themselves. They knew of the confusion of languages which God dispersed all of mankind throughout the earth. They knew about the man Abraham who God called and made a nation of. You see, the Bible tells us that all of mankind began with the knowledge of God. But they did not remain true to that knowledge by the exercise of their own perverted will and pleasure. Because the universal question often to you, people say, well, uh, how can God judge them if they didn't know? They knew from the beginning. Man knew from the beginning. He knew about God. He rejected God. In fact, Paul the Apostle gives this witness to this truth that had existed all along for 4,000 years until he wrote to the Romans. Listen to him in Romans 1, 18-23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that what may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they knew God. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. 
When they knew God, they didn't want to retain the knowledge of God. By creation and by conscience, Romans 1 and 2 tells us man is without excuse. You see, one generation away from knowing God, then the next generation doesn't know God. So that generation that doesn't know God says, well, we never knew about it. Oh, but your parents did. And creation tells you and conscience tells you. And all the other people around who believe in God tell you. The proverb tells us a very important truth about nations. In Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The Bible is the record of God's judgment of nations throughout time. Without exception, including his own nation as we've been studying. He judged his nation. Jeremiah, as you know, was commissioned as a prophet to his own nation as well as to the nations of the world. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 and 10, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations, plural. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plan. Now, we would think that this is a unique call of Jeremiah. And though Jeremiah had a unique call for the time, it was not unique of the prophets. For there are many other prophets in Scripture that were commissioned to the Gentile nations, such as Amos, Ezekiel, Zephaniah. In fact, the New American Commentary points out that the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel alone combined contain 25 chapters comprising 603 verses, more than any entire book of the New Testament regarding the Gentile nations. In fact, there may be only one prophet who doesn't address the nations, and that probably is Hosea. So, the world's without excuse. The nations are without excuse. Now, you know that Jeremiah prophesied through the reign of five kings. We've been in the book for quite a while. He began with Josiah, then Jehoiahaz, then Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. From 626-27 to 586, 40 years of prophecy plus will give 5 or 10 in Egypt. At the same time, you have to understand that Jeremiah was a contemporary with four kings of Egypt. Symmatrix I, Pharaoh Necho II, Symmatrix II, and Pharaoh Hophra, reigning from 664 to 568 B.C. But he was also contemporary with the greatest monarch of the Babylonian and Chaldean Empire that has ever existed, the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar personally sent his top soldiers and officers to rescue Jeremiah from the prison house and the court in Jeremiah 39, 11 through 15. And he was favorable towards Jeremiah because Jeremiah was telling the people to just surrender for God had given them up. In our present day, we might think of Billy Graham, who has been sought out by many presidents of the United States for counsel and comfort, and maybe even other leaders of the world, ever since the 1960s. I don't know if you saw his last address that he gave, not with the 9-11, but when Clinton was in office. And he walked in, I can just, I, I picture Daniel like him, just gray hair and feeble, walking up. And he walked into this beautiful auditorium where all the history of the United States, all these great men were around, Washington, Jefferson, everything else. 
And he says, when I walked in this room, I noticed all these men have one thing in common. They're all dead. And he began to preach the gospel to them. Jeremiah. What a call. What a challenge. We want to focus on the oracles or the prophecy here of judgment against Egypt, which is presented to us in a threefold movement, verses 1 through 12. Let me read our text for us. The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah, the prophet against the nations, against Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates and Carchemish, in which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and mount up your horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets, polish your spears, put on the armor. Why have I seen them dismayed and turned back? Their mighty ones are beaten down. They have speedily fled. And they did not look back, for fear was all around, says the Lord. Do not let the swift flee away, nor the mighty men escape. They will stumble and fall towards the north by the river Euphrates. Who is this coming up like a flood, whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. Come up, O horses, and rage, O chariots. And let the mighty man come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans and the handle the shield and the Lydians who handle and bend the bow. For this is the day of the Lord, God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour it, shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Go up to Gilgal and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain you will use many medicines. You shall not be cured. The nations have heard of your shame, and your cry has filled the land. For the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They both have fallen together. The fearful judgment of Egypt is presented in three simple movements. In verse 1 and 2, we have the setting for the judgment of Egypt. Then verse 3 through 6, we have the preparations for the judgment of Egypt. And lastly, in verse 7 through 12, we have the futile defense against the judgment of Egypt. And it unfolds 1, 2, 3, coming to a conclusion. The setting for judgment of Egypt... Is found in verse 1 and 2. Notice first in verse 1. The identity of judgment against Egypt is given. And the oracle is a divine oracle. Its origin is from God. Once again we hear here the words of the Lord which came to Jeremiah the prophet. A constant repetition. That it's God who is directing, declaring and revealing. The retribution notice is against the nations for the simple reason that Yahweh is the creator of all men and all nations have walked contrary to the light of creation and conscience, as well as the treaties that God had made with certain individuals. Adam, Noah, Abraham. Notice the superscription serves for the collection of proclamations here against all the Gentile nations mentioned. It's in the plural. 
Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, Hazor, Elam, and Babylon. This is God's judgment against them. Notice here, secondly, that in verse 2, the identity of the time period and the person of the judgment of Egypt is given to us. The context is always of great importance to interpret the passage correctly and the type of literature it is. The name ascribed for judgment, you can't miss it. It's against the nation of Egypt in verse 2. The setting is in prose, while the oracle itself is in poetry from verse 3 to verse 12. Now, some have described the poem as unexcelled in quality. The Bible contains some of the most beautiful poetry that has ever been written. And this is no exception. Some have even suggested that the poem should be read with first without verse 2. Because that was the original setting, they said, perhaps. And reading it, you begin and you don't know who is going to be used as the instrument until you come to verse 7 when you find out it's Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, who is used. Almost like a, a, a play or a movie, you know, you, you're not told the things before they happen, but they develop and they unroll. The judgment is against a particular person. Don't miss it. The judgment is against the army of Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh Necho II, who was king of Egypt in 609 to 594 B.C. It's very specific. Now thirdly, look at verse 2 in the middle there. The identity of the place and the prevailer of the judgment of Egypt is given also. The particular location of the judgment would take place at the river Euphrates in Carchemish. The prevailing victor, notice, is identified as Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Babylon had defeated the Assyrian Empire who had been aided by Egypt at Harem in 610 B.C. under Thematrix and pushed the Egyptian army back. If you recall, we've gone through this before. In the following year... Pharaoh Necho II, the successor of Symmachus, went up to relieve the hard-pressed Assyrians at Megiddo against Babylon. But King Josiah attempted to intervene, ignoring the warnings of Pharaoh, saying, Listen, I didn't come to fight with you. Don't mess for your own hurt. But he wouldn't hear. He went out, and Necho killed him. 2 Kings 23, 28-30. Consequently, Jehoiahaz's son, as you know, was placed on the throne by Necho for three months. And he was removed and imprisoned. And his brother Jehoiakim was put on there. Pharaoh Necho II did not go back to Egypt right away. But instead, he fortified Carchemish on the upper Euphrates as a base remaining in control of Syria and Palestine. Then in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the father of Nebuchadnezzar, sent his son Nebuchadnezzar to deal with Pharaoh Necho II at the battle of Carchemish. And Pharaoh Necho II was defeated. 2 Chronicles 35.20 and Isaiah 10.9 are two passages that tell you that. Now, notice Nebuchadnezzar is portrayed as the instrument of Yahweh's judgment against Pharaoh Necho II in Egypt. He's God's instrument. 
The identity of the time given is in relationship to the king of Judah. This is important. This took place in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, who, remember, had burnt the word of God on the fire and attempted to arrest Baruch and Jeremiah because he was looking to Egypt for help in 605. At the same time, this is happening. Jeremiah 25, 1 and 36, all of the chapter tells you that. So that's why it's important for us to mark the dates of the chapter so we see what's going on. This is all happening at the same time. He's dependent on Egypt. God's going to judge Egypt. And so the prophet Jeremiah had spoken. If you look at chapter 25 on the same chapter, you go down to uh, later on. He said that he had spoken for 23 years as a prophet. And they had not obeyed. They were rebellious. And if you keep reading in that chapter 25, and you go down to verse 15 and 16 and 27 and 28, it says there that Jeremiah was commanded by God to proclaim the fury from the Lord's hand, the cup of fury, and to cause all the nations whom he has sent to drink that wrath, including Judah. The very same year that this is happening right here, he's telling, he's already told all the nations, you're going to drink of my wrath. The book of Revelation tells us about the cup of the Lord's wrath. This was also the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. God was about to begin the time of the Gentiles, which is of great prophetic significance and importance. When God would put aside his nation and now began to deal through the Gentile nations, beginning with the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, going all the way down, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the ten-nation confederacy, the ten toes of iron and clay. That's the time of the Gentiles. At which time then God will deal with Israel once again during the Great Tribulation. He is about to begin the time of the Gentiles. In fact, he would reveal this to Nebuchadnezzar. Read it in Daniel 2 verse 1 in the second year of his reign. This is the first year of his reign when he proclaimed this. The next year he was going to reveal it to Nebuchadnezzar through the dream of the image. Do you see the things falling together? God's word is so perfect. God's setting for judgment. And judgment of the kingdom of the Antichrist. And the armies of the world. Is under God's control. He has already revealed it to us in Revelation 19. In the battle of Armageddon. Tells us the outcome already. So even the last battle. It's under God's control And he's already given you a preview. We already know what's going to happen. He knows the end from the beginning. In Isaiah we read, I'm the the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything impossible for me? He said, I tell you things before they happen, so when they happen, you know I'm God. And if there's any other gods out there, tell me things before they happen, so when they happen, I can declare you God. No one's ever taken them up on it. Hindus don't have prophecy. Buddhists don't have prophecy. No religions have prophecy. Only Christianity. Because we have the God who knows the future. God being the creator of all men will judge all men. Jesus is called the judge of the living and the dead, as you know. And it's appointed unto man to die once in the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says. All will be judged. All things are open and naked to him. With whom we have to do with Hebrews 4.12 and 13. 
Nothing will have to be given to him. Nothing will have to be told to him. Nothing will have to be clarified. There's no mistake in judgment when God takes place. In fact, God has judged many nations in the past without any question, like Egypt here, that he's proclaiming. But even before this, he sent Moses to judge Egypt and her gods. And God put the plagues and the judgments. God had Joshua judged the inhabitants of the land, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the mites that are in there. And he judged them for their abominations. God could not give them the land until that day was up. God is very specific in judgment. Have you ever noticed that? As to the time period and the persons. Regarding Abraham and Abimelech, listen, in Genesis 20, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. God has spoken to Gentile kings and emperors. God has always intervened in his story. <laughs> God gave a word of knowledge to Peter about Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts 5, 1 through 5, it says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Now, God didn't care about his money. He said he was a liar. That he was pretending to be something he wasn't. Specific time, specific place, specific way. God judges. God will choose the place. You remember Korah and his 250 friends who were rebellious against Moses and Aaron? It was in the wilderness. The earth swallowed up all of them in Numbers 16, 31 through 32. For Balaam, it was God's command that Moses kill him as he wiped out the Midianites in Numbers 31, 8 for his counsel to defile Israel through the Midianitish woman. See, you can hide. So you think. God sees everything. God used who he wills as the instrument for judgment. He used Noah to judge the whole world in Genesis 6-8. He used Assyria to judge Israel, as we know already from Isaiah, the rod of his anger, Isaiah 10-5. He used Babylon now to judge Judah here, calling Nebuchadnezzar his servant in verse 10 of chapter 43 of Jeremiah. He will use Cyrus later on, as we move on in scripture, to judge Babylon and calls Cyrus his anointed and gives him the plan to overcome and to get into the city in Isaiah 45.1 and Jeremiah 25.12. Cutting control. The setting for the judgment of Egypt was under God's control. Now, if you think there's something that God is not in control of, you need to think about this. Mainly your life. He wants to be in control of your life. He's aware of all that's in your life. So don't take control of your life. Leave it in His hands. Pastor Xavier Reese, highlighting today's simple truths of God's hand, able to both guide His instruments of judgment and extend His loving grace. And let me quickly remind you, if you've missed any part of this message, you can hear it from beginning to end again anytime online. 
Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Now there's much more to this study to come right here next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy of this message. And the title you want to ask for is simply, The Fearful Judgment of Israel. It's available on CD for only $4. The title to ask for once more is, The Fearful Judgment of Israel. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 926 1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. The simple truth of 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese challenges us to trust in God's victories. Tell a friend to join us then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com